0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Keeley. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Hurt It on the Sidelines. Hurt It. Hurt it on the Sidelines with Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another edition of the Hurt It on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Sproutling. Thanks again to Keeley and Chris for the intro, and thanks to everyone that is returning to listen. For those first-timers out there, the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast is part of the Peristyle Podcast family. It's the podcast where we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain to give you an insider's perspective from the people around the USC athletic programs. On today's episode, we're virtually heading to Indianapolis, where the USC basketball team is currently locked up in a hotel, quarantining along with several other teams, awaiting the start of the NCAA tournament this weekend. The 22 and 7 Trojans were awarded the number 6 seed in the West region where they await the winner of the first four game between Wichita State and Drake which will be played on Thursday night. The 6 seed is the highest ever for Andy Enfield and the highest for the USC program since 2008. The Trojans have only had a higher seed 3 times since the NCAA began the seeding process in 1979. Their highest seed came in 1992 when Harold Minor led the team to a number 2 seed and a 24 and 6 record, producing the best win percentage for a USC team until well this year. But in 1992 the Trojans didn't make it past the opening weekend, losing a heartbreaking 1 point loss to Georgia Tech. USC was also upset in 2002 as a number 4 seed and then in 2008 as a number 6 seed. But it hasn't been all upsets when USC's earned a quality seed. The Trojans' last Sweet 16 trip came in 2007 as a number 5 seed, and USC's lone Elite 8 appearance in the last 60 years came in 2001 when the Trojans were also a number 6 seed, just like this year. Could the Trojans get some 20-year magic going? Well, we'll talk with former USC star player Desmond Farmer, a freshman on that 2001 team, to get his opinion on that very subject. Desmond has a very unique perspective, having played on the Elite Eight 2001 team, the 2002 team that was upset by UNC Wilmington, and he's also now on the staff with the Trojans as a graduate assistant. Farmer finished off his undergraduate degree last year and has been working on his master's in communication management while also working to help make this year's USC Trojan squad a better team. Along with bringing a ton of energy to the gym every day, just like when he was a player, the farmer does a lot of individual skill work with the players to help them refine their game, and he also tries to impart some of the wisdoms he learned during his career. The former All-Pac-12 and All-Pac-12 tournament guard averaged more than 19 points per game in his final two seasons at USC before moving on to a professional basketball career that lasted more than a decade. He played in the NBA, but he also traveled all over the world playing in a number of different countries and immersing himself in a number of unique cultures. We'll talk to Farmer about the life lessons basketball has taught him, his experiences in the NCAA tournament, what advice he's given the players this week, and why he thinks USC can make a run to its first Final Four since 1954. The Michigan native also discusses why his love for the Cardinal in gold has never waned, the tough decision he had to make with his family when deciding to coach this season, and what he's taken out of this experience that will help him one day become a head coach himself. But first, I want to start with my two positives and a negative. Since we're talking USC basketball, we've got to start with Evan Mobley. Last week, Evan Mobley became the first player in Pac-12 history to ever win Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and Freshman of the Year all at the same time. It was a historic triple win as the only other time someone has won player of the year, defensive player of the year, freshman of the year, all in the same season in a major conference was when L.A. Lakers big man Anthony Davis did it while he was at Kentucky. Moley was also just the second freshman in Pac-12 history to win defensive player of the year, joining Oregon State's Gary Payton. Pretty good company there. He's just the fourth player to win Pac-12 Player of the Year and Freshman of the Year in the same season, along with DeAndre Ayton, Kevin Love, and Sharif Abdul-Rahim. So, again, pretty good company there. Mobley's the fourth Trojan to be named the Conference Player of the Year and the first since Sam Clancy in 2001-2002, who was also the last Associated Press All-American from USC before Mobley also earned that honor on Tuesday. We're talking about Mobley's aggression, though. And when I'm talking about his aggression, we're not talking about him aggressively hoarding all the trophies and all the awards. Much more important for the next three weeks of action, though, was Mobley's aggressive attacking play in the Pac-12 tournament. Evan Mobley showed that he understands what time of year it is. It's March. It's time to go. And that he's not afraid of the spotlight. Against a pair of teams that he struggled with to produce some big outings earlier in the season, you know, didn't even take a shot against Utah in the first time those two teams matched up. Mobley was a monster over the weekend in Las Vegas in the Pac 12 tournament. Foul trouble initially limited him in USC's first game of the tournament against Utah, but after halftime, he was a dominant force, scoring 24 of his career-high 26 points and fouling out multiple Utah defenders that tried tried to guard him. They had no answer for him. When the game with Utah went to overtime and then double overtime, Mobley carried the Trojans. He wouldn't let USC lose. He scored 13 of the team's 20 points in those two extra periods. Then against Colorado the next night, Mobley carried the Trojans for an entire half. He scored 17 of the team's 30 points in the first half. He was the only one that kind of brought it in the first half and kept USC in the game and did everything he could. He tied his career high that he set a day earlier with another 26 points. He also had nine rebounds and blocked five shots. Not in the Utah game, not in the Colorado game, in both of those games. Nine rebounds, five block shots, 26 points in both games. Tremendous performance for him. He affected every facet of the game on both ends of the court. That's what USC is going to need from him going into the NCAA tournament. The second positive maybe is a question mark. Gained experience through tough lessons. This could be a big positive for USC or could be what we look back at next week and say that's what they should have learned from. The Trojans lost by two points in the Pac-12 tournament semifinals to Colorado after their double overtime win against Utah. That followed a dramatic come-from-behind win at UCLA in their regular season finale. Those are three games where it's down to the crunch time, down to the last shot, and they came out ahead in two of those. After barely having any close game experience outside of being pushed by Cal Baptist and UC Riverside in games where USC really struggled, actually, the Trojans got three straight tight contests, and from those three games, they should be able to take away just how important all the details are. In the Crosstown Showdown against UCLA, Neither team uh, could make some free throws late. You know, either team could have pulled away if either one of them would have shot a little bit better. Against Utah, the Trojans struggled from the line again in crunch time after being solid the first 35 minutes of the game or so. It let Utah creep back in and force overtime. And the game against Utah should have showed USC how important it is to go for the jugular. Put a team away. Don't let them hang around to where they can even the score up with 2.3 seconds left in regulation. And then again in overtime with a big three pointer out of a timeout. That's how you get 10 extra minutes. When you should have been able to finish it off early. But the biggest lesson should come from the game they lost. USC rallied after you know, giving up a 17 0 run in the first half. They came all the way back to tie the game with 35 seconds left, only to lose on a putback slam in the final seconds. There's a list of probably six to ten things that if USC just did a little bit better, it would have won. It's a game of missed opportunities for USC. The Trojans had two technicals that gave away free points. They gave up some open looks from three. They lost the rebounding margin. They went 6-for-12 from the free throw line. They had an eight-minute drought that was exacerbated by the fact that Colorado's dynamic point guard, McKinley Wright, wasn't available, which should have been the prime time for USC to go on a run. And the Trojans only had two players finishing double figures for the game, which has been one of the most telling stats for USC this season. They're 19-0 when three or more players finish in double figures versus only 3-7 when 2 Two or few, fewer players finishing double figures. So got to get multiple players to 10 points in the NCAA tournament. If the Trojans really take that loss to heart against Colorado, they take that to heart. Let it fuel their focus on the details. It could be just what they needed heading into the NCAA tournament. USC's really responded well to most of its losses this season. It's averaged a 17-point victory in the game following its six previous losses, and that's including the loss to Utah, adding it into the, factoring it into that 17-point total as well. Now the negative. USC is entering the NCAA tournament just four and four in their last eight games after starting 18-3. During that stretch, they've been very inconsistent with the intensity and energy that they come out with at the start of the game. It's been off the charts in a couple of games against Oregon, against Stanford, huge leads early. It's been pathetic in a couple others. Just no energy, no defensive intensity out on the court, and it's cost them early, and they had to to try to catch up. USC had a rally against UCLA. They had a rally in that Colorado loss. They struggled mightily on the mountain trip, and then they got redemption against Utah in the quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament, though it did take them until double overtime before they were finally able to finish off the Utes, who Tuesday fired head coach Larry Kristoviak after missing the NCAA tournament for the fifth straight year. They still weren't able to get over the hump against Colorado, who's won seven in a row against USC now, including three of USC's seven losses this season. But I guess the positive news is the Trojans can't meet the Buffaloes until the Final Four. There's no way that they can match up in the bracket until at least the Final Four. So they can avoid McKinley Wright, avoid Jariah Horn's three-pointers and Tad Boyle, and still make a run in the NCAA tournament. But they have to lock in immediately. Don't wait till tomorrow. Right now, even before they know who their opponent is on Thursday, and then from the opening tip on Saturday, you know the 2001 team that went to the Elite Eight, they had lost four of six in late February, including a 45 point shellacking by Arizona. Then they had an over overtime win. Sound familiar? But then right after that, they lost by two to a really tough opponent. Again, does that sound familiar? Before, they won their final three games of the regular season heading into the NCAA Tournament, and they won three games in the NCAA Tournament to get to the Elite Eight. So again, gotta ask, could there be a little 20-year anniversary magic with this group? Let's welcome in our guest today, Desmond Farmer, former USC player, former NBA player, played professionally, now back at USC. Just recently got his degree last year, now working on his master's degree with USC and on the coaching staff as a, as a grad manager, grad assistant, and helping out with the team. And you know it, he's in a familiar place in the NCAA tournament, somewhere where he spent uh, some time as a player at USC as well. So wanted to get him on to talk about his experience in the NCAA tournament, as well as his experience coaching with this year's team. So Desmond, welcome to the show and, and thanks for joining us.
1: Uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Anything for the Trojan family.
0: <laughs> I, I know you're a big, you know, you're a big USC guy. You still post, uh, you know, various USC stuff even before you, you came back to to finish up your degree last year and to work on your master's degree this year. Why, why have you been such a big USC fan as well as you know just a Trojan family member? Why has that been so important to you?
1: Um, it, it's been important to me because. I I worked hard. You know, I I did a lot of sweating and and crying for the university, you know, going through a lot of stuff and trying to help us win and and being on the winning situation. And, you know, I I respect the alumni and I I respect how everybody is all as a family. and, and And it just makes me want to continue to be around it.
0: Yeah, I was kind of curious just what sold you on coming to USC initially. You're from Flint, Michigan, and you know decided to come out west and, and go to USC. What what sold you coming out of high school? You know, I
1: had an injury when I was coming out going into my senior year, and um, a lot of schools have like, disappeared. I, you know, I was one of the top players in the country. At one point, I was uh, number one, number two shooting guard in the country. And when I got injured, I tore my ACL. A lot of schools disappeared and USC just stuck it out. They stuck it out with me. They kept checking on me, seeing how I was doing, how was my recovery going, and I just felt like that helped me make my decision because I seen that they they really was interested in having me. So it made my decision a lot easier.
0: You come to USC and your first year, your freshman year, you were able to contribute and help a team that made the, the deepest run in NCAA tournament history for USC, made it to the Elite Eight in 2001, to going up against the eventual national champion, Duke who was the team that, that beat you guys in the Elite Eight. Going through that run, what do you remember most?
1: Shoot, I just remember how the people in the state of New York was just excited about our success. <laughs> you know, walking the street and people noticing you and just being excited and cheering for you. I remember that. I remember those moments just people being excited that you there and may, and being a Cinderella team, which they considered we was at that time, and just enjoying the ride.
0: It's interesting. You guys, you were on both sides kind of of the Cinderella story. You made the run to the Elite Eight, but then the next year USC loses in overtime in the first round to UNC Wilmington. Which tournament experience did you think you learned most from?
1: Um, I think my freshman year. I think mm-hmm. my, freshman year, my freshman year when we made it to the Elite Eight, I learned a lot knowing I, I didn't play that, that many minutes. You know, him, Coach Bibby, you know, he only played five to six, six to seven guys. He wasn't a big rotation. So I was able to just learn a lot. I got a little minutes here and there, you know, um, you know did my part for the team and I, I was just able to learn. So when we got to that second uh, tournament, I was able to be a, a lot of help um, for Sam Clancy and Brandon Grailville and, and David Blutenthal and contribute away. I, I knew I
0: could. Yeah, you, you've obviously seen you know the positives and the negatives of the NCAA tournament. You play with some really good players, Sam Clancy, like you mentioned, who was an All American uh, with for the Associated Press. Evan Mobley today was named to the second team All American team as well. Tell me uh, about watching this year's group. Where do you see things that are relatable? What What makes you think that maybe this team can make a, a run in the NCAA tournament?
1: This year, I think we got a special group. I mean, I like our guys. We long, we one of the biggest teams in college basketball this year, and I think that right there alone it gives you an advantage. You know, having mm-hmm. the height, being able to go inside and 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 be able to perform and and be at a high level. These guys have been working their tail off. You know, we was picked six or seven to seven um, in the league this year. And we surprised everybody by finishing second, had an opportunity to finish first. So I just think our success is just on us. And I think the guys is locked in. We are smart guys. We got our guys love each other. And I can feel the energy that we can do something special right now. So I think we can get further than what we we did when I was at USC in 2001 when we went to the Elite Eight. I I truly believe that. That's the goal, and that's my goal, is to get – this team further than what I did when I was in 2001. And, and they got the opportunity and we got the talent. And you got to take advantage of when you having this. You, you do not come across this type of talent all the time. And we just got to take advantage of it. Um, it's a great opportunity for us down here. And it's all about just being excited and being prepared. And I, that's what I keep preaching to the guys. It's just about being prepared and ready to go.
0: I know USC fans would love to see you guys get moved out of, the, you know, pushed back in the record book uh, from being the the deepest run, and would love to see that as well. What do you think is the key to this year's team making a run? You know, especially with the experience you had, you've seen what key components are are on a team that can make a run. What makes this team? You know, what's the key for this year's group to to be able to do that?
1: I think we, uh, you know, we got a lot of we got a lot of quiet guys. Like fires quiet, and I think if we if we talked a lot a little more, which I've been working on uh, with them in practices, getting them to talk and, and communicating to each other, and letting you know letting each other know that you got each other's back. And I think once we get to that stage and get over and get in that in that mode of the game, I think it can take us to another level. But right now, um, our energy, I feel like our energy kicks out slow sometimes, and, and, and we can change that and come out to the games and start strong at the beginning of the game, we can be a special team down here.
0: How different do you feel like the environment's going to be? Um, just the fact that the entire tournament's going to be held in the same area, uh, there's going to be, I, I think there's no fans allowed, maybe limited fans, but it's not going to be you know the packed house. You're not going to have the you know the Cinderella teams getting that push from the entire crowd, kind of gathering around and, and cheering them on. How different do you think the environment will be this year?
1: Um, I think it will be less exciting. I think it's going to be more of us coming as a group to get that energy going because of, because of not having that crowd and that energy like um, like normal. But I think other than that, it you know being here, you got to be excited. You know, it's it's another season, it's another opportunity. I know guys want to do things after basketball, after this, and this will help them. This will help you get to the next level, help you get other opportunities, and it's a great situation. So. Having a crowd, a little bit of crowd, will keep that energy up. But you got to be excited to be here, um, regardless of having a crowd or not. And I think that's going to be the hardest adjustment for us, these teams down here.
0: Yeah, you got to bring your own energy this year. You know, the bench has got to be involved and be a part of it. Is that something that did you take upon yourself as well to to help try to bring that energy on the bench?
1: Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to bring to the to the team exactly is that the energy and just keeping them upbeat because I know it's hard to play when you don't have that crowd and I know a lot of guys feed off the crowd so I mean I just try to be excited for the guys keep their energy up when I feel like they being down I just keep them up you know I talk to them on halftime speeches and you know I, I pull guys to the side just motivate them when I feel like they down you know I just try to be like a big brother to them mm-hmm. and, and just let them know what I've been going through or what I've been through and what you're going through right now is—it's nothing. You can get through it. You know, I just try to be the motivator out there.
0: So, what's the biggest message you're trying to pass along to the team this week, leading into the NCAA tournament? You know, having that experience and then your know, your full career that you've had. What's kind of the biggest message for this stage for this group?
1: Um, this group, I, I just been letting them know, like you got to be together like a string. When one person moves, the next person got to move. If y'all on the same page. You can be successful in a tournament. And I think that's what made us be successful in 2001 is that we was on the same page. We was, we was hungry for it. We was talking. We was constantly talking to each other, you know, and just bringing it together. And I think if our guys just understand that part of it and come together and talk to each other and just be excited for each other on each other's success, and I think they, they can, The sky's the limit down here. It's an opportunity. I like our region that we have. I like the situations we're in. And I think these guys can really do something special if they all just lock in.
0: Now, do you think it's an advantage or a disadvantage to play a team that's playing in the first four? Uh, Andy didn't really specify whether he thought it was. It's a little bit less preparation, but it's a team that, you know, has to play a game, you know, two days before. Maybe that gives them a little bit of an advantage because they, you know, they're they're used to the environment. They they get that atmosphere. They get the jitters out a little bit earlier. Do you think it's an advantage or disadvantage playing a first four team?
1: I don't know. That's kind of up in the air with me. You know, I know uh, – <laughs> I know, uh, like Kansas, member they in a bad situation, you know, and that, which is a, I think is a good thing as far as for us if we, if we continue we win our first round if they win their first round but I think it's gonna be tough for them, you know, because you can't practice and mm-hmm. you got you got to go through the protocols and stuff so I think it's it, it's kind of upsetting and, and sad that they have to go through that because the preparation is not gonna be there but for a team like us that's healthy and and ready to go, we can take advantage of that, and I. Um, that's why I think it's a unique situation right now, and I think, like I said, we got the opportunity to do something special.
0: You guys are heading into the tournament with one of the best players in the country, and Evan Mobley, a guy that's going to be a, a you know a top three draft pick in a few months. Have you ever played with someone like Evan Mobley? I mean, you've played with some some really good players with the Spurs. You played with Tim Duncan. Is there a guy that he reminds you of, or is there anyone that has a similar skill set that you've seen play?
1: Like I compare him to like Anthony Davis. You know, mm-hmm. I never played with a guy like Anthony Davis, but I've like I said, I've seen him play, and that's my similarities that I feel like he can be. Uh, uh, Anthony Davis type guy. You know, he's going to get there. He's going to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as Evan just continue to be aggressive, he's going to be an amazing player in the NBA.
0: Tell me a little bit about his personality, because it's very rare that you have a superstar that's so unselfish but it, it seems like, and I've talked with with Chris capco and Andy about this in the in the past. Is it's it's unique that you have a superstar that you're trying to push him to be more aggressive, and that's what you're you know you're not really working on you know all the skill sets. It's the biggest thing to to him being successful is getting that aggression to come out a little bit more. How unique is it to have a player like that, and how how much of a challenge is it as a coach to try to try to get that out of him?
1: I mean, with Evan, I mean. Evan's quiet, like, you know, enjoy him and have fun with the players. And, mm-hmm. you know, people uh, think he's just this quiet guy. No, Evan, Evan's just, just as normal as anybody else. He enjoys himself. He just, he's just a smart guy, and, he, and and he's humble. You know, he's a mm-hmm. humble guy, and he enjoy playing the game. And like you said, he's unselfish. He takes the right shots. And at the next level, that's what they want. They don't want a thirsty person that's constantly, you know, a headache, a head case. And he's the perfect NBA guy. Whoever gets him is going to love him, and they're going to enjoy having him. And we enjoy having him right now. You know, I, when I see that he's, he's being cool on the court, I, I talk to him and tell him it's time. It's time to turn it up. It's time to be aggressive. You know, he look at me. now. I might nod his head, say, okay. And he go out there and play He's a great kid, and I I like the way he carries himself, and I think that he carries himself the right way.
0: Yeah, I just think it's really unique that, you know, usually when you have a superstar, they want the ball all the time, they're ready to take every shot, and he's just so unselfish with it, which makes him so unique and, you know, he he's the unicorn. You know, that's what uh, Earl Watson said earlier this this season and, you know, on the Pac-12 networking, he said if you've got a unicorn, there, there's no limits to what you can do. So, we will be interesting to see what, you know, he and the rest of the Trojans can do in the NCAA tournament. You know, speaking of the NBA, I wanted to touch on on your playing career. You played a little bit with the Super Size, you played for the Spurs. It was only a handful of games you know granted it's not the experience that you hope for but what did it mean to you to be able to play at the highest level
1: it meant, it meant everything for me you know all I really wanted to do growing up was just playing the NBA and I had I actually had two seasons they were cut short because of uh, injuries and being the last guy on the roster mm-hmm. you know being that 10th 15th guy on the roster that that'd be the frustrating part because you know you never really get the opportunity to to show unless let somebody get hurt. And if they don't get hurt, you know, you just be there waiting for the opportunity. But I was just being excited, just being able to be in the NBA and, and make it. You know, that was my whole dream when I was little. That's what I was working for during college and getting myself prepared for that. And I got the opportunity. It didn't happen right away. I didn't get drafted, but I kept working. I, and, and that's what I kept doing. I just kept working and working until it happened. And I got, the, I got the opportunity. Popovich was uh, awesome. I enjoyed being around the guys like Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Ginobili. I was able to learn a lot from them Just to this day. You know, I speak to them every now and then. And, you know, I enjoyed myself, especially when I was at the Supersonics. I was able to play with another great player, Ray Allen, Rashad Lewis. So I was playing behind the best of the best. So I feel like I did my job, and I feel like I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. I didn't get to play like I wanted to, but you know i was still there everybody enjoyed me you know i had a lot um, a lot of stuff to approve and i proved myself and i made it happen so i i was just you know happy to to be able to do it period
0: Getting to the highest level is something that, you know, so many people strive for and very few are actually able to do. So, you know, even though it wasn't a 15-year you know, NBA career or anything, you know, just being able to make it to the, the, the top level is quite an accomplishment. You did have, a, a you know, a 15 or so year career as far as professional basketball. And you played all over the place. I mean, just looking at the list, I don't. I think you would have to use a pen and paper to write down all the places. Uh, you know, instead of coming off the top of your head. Um, I'm going to list a couple of them. Um, just from looking through Wikipedia and a couple other sites, but Greece, Belgium, Poland. You played in the D League for a little bit. Puerto Rico, Croatia, Israel, Kosovo, Russia, Spain, Dominican Republic, Argentina, Colombia, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, all over the globe. What was the experience like, you know, as kind of a traveling basketball player and playing in a different league, you know, a lot of times every year, every other year, and just kind of exploring the globe as you go about your career?
1: Sure, I mean, you know, I enjoyed going to those different places, and one of my best places was Israel. I enjoyed Israel. It kind of made you feel like you were at home and that that Miami feeling, and it was Americanized. That was my favorite place. But a lot of the places why you see so many teams, I, you know, I would go to the D league play playing a D league when the D league season was over, then I would leave overseas mm-hmm. to go play on them teams. So that's why a lot of those teams I played on, it was just like, okay, I got three months left of basketball. Let me go sign and play over here and go sign and play over there to make some extra money. Cause if you look at it, it was like, dang, dance was moving around a lot. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I was just, you know, when I get done playing here, I will go to the next spot, and they will call me and ask me, would I come play? I was just hungry to play, and I wanted to just, you know, get the the, the most I could out of, out of playing basketball, so I just took advantage of it, and I enjoyed going to those places. I, they made me feel at home, and, you know, that's, that's the basketball life, you know, if you want to make money and. And, and take care of your family, you know, you, you got to go through certain situations to do it.
0: What was kind of the biggest experience, uh, you, you know, what was the biggest learning experience for you seeing different locations, different people? Uh, what was kind of the biggest learning experience that you took away from it as a life lesson, maybe?
1: My experience was just going over there and like sometimes you go over to places and they lose sponsorships and and, and they can't pay you, so you gotta be over, you gotta be there for months without getting paid. Like that was my my experience, and that's what I was like. Uh, I am blessed to be playing in America because people don't know that it's a, it's tough overseas when because they 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 run their leagues off sponsorships and stuff like that. At any given any given month, a sponsor might just leave and leave the uh, team and just now you're there, not getting paid. Oh, wow! So um, that was my biggest experience was just like, okay, you just got to watch where you go and make sure they have all their dots and T's crossed so you can at least make the, make your money that you're over there trying to make. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah. So that was like my biggest like experience of and Just being away from your family, you know, it's hard. You know, being able to communicate with everybody, being over there, you know, but like I said, it made me a stronger person and it made me be able to go through adversity and other situations and be able to handle it and and, and come out okay.
0: Yeah, you you played in a number of different places. You, You played in different leagues, but this year has been... So unique in, in so many different ways, just because of the COVID, the protocols, and everything. What's been the the biggest challenge, I guess, or you know, what's been the most unique thing about this season? Being on the bench and traveling with a team once again, when there's so many different protocols, you basically can't leave the hotel rooms or anything. Uh, what's going to be the the hardest challenge for you?
1: not getting COVID. Has <laughs> the biggest challenge is just not getting COVID, because you know. It, you know that it would hurt the team it would hurt the program so you want to make sure you do everything the right way you know make sure you're not going in around a crowd of people make sure you just stay in your little bubble and and i think that was one of the hardest things i know cuz guys wanted to go home and see their family you can't go home and be with your family like you want to and i think um like i said my my hats off to all our guys because they didn't they didn't do did what we were supposed to do we had one we had one situation this whole year. I think that's a blessing. We was able to get a lot of uh, most of all our games in. And, and you know, a lot of these schools wasn't able to do that. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just happy that our guys that went through the protocols the right way and did, and did what we were supposed to do so we can, can put us in the situation we're in right now. It's awesome. I, I'm, I mean, that was the only challenging part, I think, for all of us.
0: Yeah, getting COVID is something that could definitely hurt the team, but also for you, it was even more personal than that. You had a a son that was born during the pandemic, and he had some autoimmune issues. What was it like for you, kind of dealing with this pandemic as a father, knowing that your your son has some immune issues? Um, it,
1: it it was scary. You know, it was scary at one point when um, you know, when I when I was deciding to, to be a GA for the team, um, I had to, I had to really think about the situation and I talked to my family about it. Everybody encouraged me and just told me to just keep going through the protocols, you know, be safe, do the right thing. And they support me. You know, it, it was, it was scary at one point. Cause you know, if I did got COVID, I can't, I, I wouldn't be able to be around my son. I wouldn't be able to go visit my son while he was in the hospital in the bubble. So it was, um, it was, it was, you know, it was definitely scary for me. But like I said, I had the support of the school, uh, of the team. Everybody knew my situation, so um, they, they, everybody made sure I was in a safe situation, and and it worked out. You know, I'm here to this day. I, I haven't caught, I haven't caught COVID. Thank God, and you know, my family is safe, and everybody is still safe, and we and we ready to rock and roll. <laughs>
0: Well, glad to hear that everyone's doing well. You made the decision to to join, and obviously you said that was a little bit of a tough decision with the situation going on at home to become, you know, a grad assistant with this team, uh, working on your masters in communication management. You know, what is the end goal for you? You know, being on the bench with this group, uh, you know, learning from the coaching staff that's there. What do you want to get out of this experience and what do you hope to, you know, hope it will lead to in the future?
1: You know, I'm hoping I'm hoping to become a coach and one day I'm hoping to be be a head coach to, to be able to run my own program and teach these kids uh, everything I know and all, everything I experienced. You know, I'm enjoying learning from Andy, Jason Hart and Capco and um, Eric Mobley. You know, it's a lot of things that I didn't know as a coach that coaches go through that I know now. and It's, it's just like, I, this is everything I wanted to do. I I wanted to learn before I, I put my foot out there and, and do everything it takes to become the coach. I'm enjoying it. I'm going to continue my process and my journey on, on trying to become a coach. And I think I'm doing the right things. I think I'm in a great situation with being with my university that I, you know, graduated from and having the opportunity to be here. You know, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm actually just blessed to be
0: here. Can you give us one good example of something that, that kind of stood out to you that what you know you didn't expect a, as a you know learning from the coaches? Um, how much time
1: you spend in the office?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like you be in the office all day. You be in the office all day, just watching film. and you know you got a lot. But you do have a lot of. I don't know if it's just the COVID situation. But it was just like being up test, being tested in the mornings it was just I know this is not how it really is. I know mm-hmm. we' in a, a unique situation and a weird situation, but you know like I said, all the downtime that you have i didn't really i didn't really know you had a lot of downtime <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, one last one for you. Tell me who is the most important player for USC? Which player needs to play well in this NCAA tournament run for this team to to be at its best? Going uh, going on a run in the tournament.
1: Who are the most important player?
0: Yeah, who who's the guy that needs to step up and and play up to his potential for you guys to to play up to your potential as a team?
1: If, to be to be honest, I think I think everybody's important. You know, I know Evan's going to do what he's going to do. And I think if, if, if we all follow his league and, and, and do, if they all follow his league and, and feed off him, I think we got a great opportunity to be successful. He's the number, he's like top five pick. <laughs> he's going to draw all the attention. Like I would have I loved to play with a guy that was top five and I can be able to take open shots <laughs> and, and be open all the time. And I mean, I think once the guys embrace that and see that if we run our offense through him, it, it helps you. And once they embrace that, I think um, everybody is needed in this tournament. That's how you post. It. That's how you get fired.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much to Desmond Farmer for joining us and giving us a little insight into his previous experiences in the NCAA tournament, making a run to the Elite Eight with the 2001 team, and we'll see if the this year's Trojans can do the same, if they can make a run in the NCAA tournament starting on Saturday. They will play the winner of the Wichita State and Drake game, the first four games that will take place on Thursday. To close out the show, let's take a look at that matchup between Wichita State and Drake, the Wichita State Shockers' One of the nation's worst teams in field goal percentage actually this season, which could play into USC's benefit there because USC has one of the best field goal percentage defenses in the nation. Wichita State was 16 and five. They had a bunch of games, you know, postponed or canceled during conference play due to COVID positives at other schools. You know, they were 14 and three after starting one and two with some shorthanded players out with their own COVID issues. So they're a team that that has played really well down the stretch when they've been able to play. Obviously, the the big storyline early in the season for Wichita State was that their head coach Greg Marshall had resigned in November after an investigation into physical and and verbal abuse for some previous players. But they have rebounded. they come together after that situation this is a team uh, a program that has you know been to 8 of the last 9 NCAA tournaments but no one on this roster has actually played in the NCAA tournament game, so not, not going to be a bunch of experience there. They are used to playing close games, though. They played a number of, of games really tight this season, and they've got a unique playmaker in Tyson Etienne. He hits more than three three-pointers per game. He's shooting nearly 40%, and he averages over 17 points a game, so they're a team to watch out for if they can get him going. They do play good defense. They don't turn the ball over very much, so those are things that USC you know will have to attack against, but they're not very good rebounding either they're negative uh on negative margin on the season so that's an area where USC might be able to attack as well that's if Wichita State can get past Drake now Drake on the other hand the team from Iowa who Andy Enfield the other day was like I think they're in Iowa not exactly sure but he was honest about it they are in Iowa indeed uh Drake comes from Des Moines if you prefer Des Moines whichever way you want to say it there the Bulldogs from Des Moines don't turn the ball over. They force you to beat them instead of beating themselves. They average seventy-seven points per game, forty-fifth in the nation, and they also hold their team hold opponents to sixty-four points per game. So you know they have a pretty good margin of victory there as well. They're one of the top shooting teams in the nation, which should be a complete contrast to Wichita State, which would be interesting in that matchup in that first four game. But they shoot at forty-nine point four percent, twelfth in the nation. And one of the reasons why is because they go and attack the basket. They're really good. At two-point shots, they make 54.4% of their two-point shots, which is 29th in the nation, while USC is second in the nation in two-point defense at at 42%. So that should be an interesting uh, battle back and forth there, the potential of that if USC is to play Drake. Now, Drake, they're missing some players. You know, Roman Penn, their point guard, was top 20 in assists, averaging over five assists a game, 2.43 assists to turnover ratio, out for the season with a foot injury. Unfortunate for them. They also have been without Shanquan Hemphill, who's averaging 14.1 points, their leading rebounder at 6.3 rebounds, expected to be back on Thursday. We'll see, you know, what condition he's in, how many minutes he can play. You know, he's been out for about a month now. They hope to have him back as well. In the meantime, they've had a guy step up and that's been Joe Yusufu, moved into the starting lineup. He's averaging 23.1 points in his last seven games, so he's been a big boost for them. We'll see if he gets going in that first game and that's going to be the interesting part of that first four. Is it a good thing or a bad thing to play an opponent that's playing in the first four game? They do get a little bit of experience, get the jitters out, and if someone starts hitting some shots, then that gives them confidence going into that second game, so watch out for guys like DJ Wilkins for Drake. You know He makes over two threes a game. Tyson Etienne from Wichita State and Yusufu. If those guys can get going, then maybe they become dangerous threats to USC that USC is going to have to try to shut down. But That's a quick look at the matchup that will be taking place on Thursday. All eyes should be on that one first for USC and then the the coaches will try to put together a scouting report as quick as they can turn it around in 48 hours and USC will play on Saturday at 1.30 p.m. Pacific time on TNT. They'll be taking on the winner of that Wichita State-Drake game to begin the NCAA tournament. If they win that then they could potentially match up with either Kansas or Eastern Washington, which is the 3-14 matchup. Now Kansas has been dealing with some COVID issues. They don't know if they're going to have all their players for their first game. Uh, will they have everyone back for the second game? Still kind of up in the air, but how much are they being able to practice this week? They obviously had to shut things down last week when, when they had a, a COVID uh, positive during the Big 12 tournament and had to pull out of that tournament. How much are they practicing this week? Are they going to be a little bit rusty going into that Saturday game that they play? That'll be something to keep an eye on as well. USC potentially could get a little bit of an advantage there with the fact that they're playing consistently and haven't had any stoppages in a while. So we'll see how this section of the bracket uh, shakes out this weekend, there's the potential of a, you know, if USC wins a couple games, they could face off against number the two seed in the bracket, Iowa, or even number seven seed in the bracket, Oregon. You know, Oregon's a a unique team and they'll be tough to defend if if they go up against Iowa. Could be a Pac-12 matchup uh, in the Sweet 16 there. And then this is obviously the West region bracket, which the number one seed Overall in the tournament is in, and the number one seed uh, in the West, Gonzaga, who's been number one all season, undefeated. Can anyone beat them on the path to the Final Four? That'll be a big question mark in the Elite Eight. If USC's to make it that far, you know they would equal the 2001 team, and we'll see if that 20-year magic, if they can push themselves over a little bit further into the Final Four, just like Desmond Farmer thinks they have the capability of doing. But that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Hurried on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you again to Desmond Farmer for jumping on and joining us, and thanks to all you for listening. We hope you'll be back to join us for the next episode of the Hurried on the Sidelines podcast. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or...